Good morning, Riverview. Happy quarantine Easter to you. Easter 2020 looks a lot different than uh, any Easter probably than we've experienced in the past, but here we are. We get to worship together in our homes, and we are fully expecting that God's going to do an amazing work uh, in, in our midst. Uh, weren't, weren't the videos that we just watched uh, a little bit ago, they, they were fantastic. Um, uh, answering this question of what does Easter mean to me, I think if I were to answer that question of what Easter means to me, I'd have to say that it means hope. Uh, hope of the resurrection, because Easter, we're celebrating Jesus, we're celebrating his resurrection, and the resurrection brings this idea of hope, not just for tomorrow, but it brings this hope in the middle of our today, in the here and the now, the right now. And so I would say hope, because the resurrection brings real hope right now. And I'm going to say that again, because we're going to build everything that we do off of that this morning. The resurrection brings real hope right now. Now, this may seem a little bit odd, uh, but I want to talk with you this morning about two resurrections. Now, it would make total sense for us to be talking about Jesus' resurrection, right? Because it's Easter. That's what we do. And you got up this morning, and you got this big breakfast ready, and you got together with family, or you set the table for yourself, and you got all prepared, and you're gathered around a screen to celebrate the resurrection of, of Jesus. It's Easter. It's what we're supposed to talk about, right? And we're going to talk about his resurrection. Uh, but there's another resurrection that I want to look at with you this morning. It's a resurrection that sets the stage for Jesus to give every one of us, no matter what our circumstance is, no matter where we are, it gives every one of us real hope right now. But before we get there, I want to acknowledge that there's a very big elephant in the room that, that when, when, I, when I just even say the word hope, because believing having hope, it's not easy for every one of us. It's not easy for everybody who's watching this morning for all kinds of different reasons. For some of us, it's hard to find hope because you feel like maybe you've been hurt in the past. Or maybe you feel like even right now, like as you sit and you're gathered, like there is hurt in your heart right now and real hope for you feels way far out there. Or, or for you, hope just feels completely non-existent. And so the word hope for you, it's difficult. And I know too that we have some people that, that are watching with us this morning that, man, probably hope isn't even anywhere on your radar there may be folks that are watching right now that this is your first time ever kind of like going to church or you haven't been to church in a really long time and, and so you're kind of going to church again this morning and you just kind of felt like, man, today's the day, right? Out of all the days I could ever go back to church and not feel the pressure of anything or anybody else around me, like today is that day. It's Easter. I don't have to go to the store. I don't have to buy any fancy clothes. I don't have to buy my kids any clothes. And for whatever reason, sometimes we think that Easter means that we got to go get dresses and, and pastel colors and all that sort of thing. But for you, like, there's no pressure in that for you this morning. There's no pressure of you walking in the door and some weird person asking you, like, hey, where have you been for the past six months? Or where have you been for the past year? We've never seen you before. We're glad to have you with us right now. There's just none of that pressure for you. And, and really for you, like, if hope's not on your radar and you don't even care, like, at some point you could just push stop. And it could all, all kind of be over this morning and, and as we watch the screen. So for you, there's really no, no pressure. And for you, maybe real hope doesn't really matter to you today because it's not even on the radar. But I know, too, that we've got some people that are watching this morning that hope is on your radar. It's always been on your radar. You were looking for it. 
but you felt like it just never showed up. You felt like it never came. You felt like maybe you were sold a bill of goods that nobody ever came and delivered on. And maybe for you right now, as you sit there and you watch, like you are angry and you are hurt. You're like, man, I'm here, but I'm hurt and I'm hurt deeply. And you want to know that there's hope, but you just don't even know if you can trust that that's even a, a, a possibility for you anymore. And, and I was thinking this week, I wonder if some of our biggest complaints about God and, and some of our biggest complaints and angers about him isn't so much about disbelief or isn't so much about, you know, what we would label as unbelief. I know that maybe even right now, as we're sitting here together, like this is an interesting Sunday that anybody can jump in, right? Uh, that, that maybe like there, there's an, uh, an atheist or an agnostic or a group who, who just, you know, they take the evidence that we have for God and, and they just completely come to a different conclusion, than those of faith in Jesus come to. And, 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 so, uh, and, and so that's the conclusion that you, you come up with. But I wonder, though, if some of our biggest complaints and our angers uh, about God, or, or what we might even call unbelief or disbelief that would lead us to a place of atheism or, agnostic, or, or, or just being agnostic, is just simply based on this idea of like, man, when I needed you, you didn't come through. Or when I needed you, you didn't come through the way that I expected you to come through. Or, or the world needs you to jump in and intervene. And everywhere I look, it just seems like you don't care. Like we're going through things and it just doesn't seem like you're even available to jump in. And, and so for your emotion or your response, is just like, man, I, I'm, I'm hurt. I want to believe, but I'm hurt. And the conclusion that we can draw is one that maybe God doesn't exist or, or God doesn't care, kind of in that same category. And if he does exist, and, and, and he does care, maybe he just doesn't have the ability or the power to do anything about that. And so even for you, real hope seems real far out there this morning. And, and so for all of us, I, what I want to do is I, I think as we look at these two different resurrections, what, the, these resurrections that we're going to look at today, I think we're going to see a glimpse that, that Jesus does see our hurt, that Jesus does enter into our hurt, and he has the heart and the ability and the desire and the power to infuse our hurt with real hope right now through his resurrection. So much so that the resurrection can give even you, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of hope this morning, that he can give even you real hope right now. And so, Wherever you are right now, emotionally, spiritually, or even physically, I want to ask you to open up your Bibles uh, to John chapter 11, okay? And if you've got uh, kids in the room, go ahead, please take the time to help them find John chapter 11. You'll just find the New Testament that's a little over halfway in. Then you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then if you go about halfway through John, you're going to be in chapter 11. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And then we're going to start with verse 17, but before we get to verse 17, I'm just going to kind of give a little background about what's going on before uh, we ever get to verse 17 here. Um, Jesus, he's been doing ministry um, uh, all outside of Jerusalem. He's, he's been in Jerusalem. He's been outside of Jerusalem, but he's been in a place called Bethany for a little while. Um, and while he's in Bethany, he meets this family, and this family has become so dear to his heart. It's uh, two gals, uh, two sisters, and a brother. It's Mary, it's Martha, and it's Lazarus. And Jesus just deeply cares uh, about these three. And actually, whenever he's even close to Bethany, he makes it a point to go in and see them. He loves 
them. Now, you're probably familiar with um, Mary and Martha, um, if, you're, if you're familiar with any of these three. Mary's kind of known as the e- emotional one, right? She, she kind of gets loud. She, every time uh, Jesus is around, she's kind of at his feet. Uh, she's his disciple. She wants to be as close to him as she can. She's the one that uh, when there was uh, oil that was anointing Jesus' feet, like she was the one that was down on her hands and knees. She was anointing his feet with that oil. She was wiping it with her hair. She is an emotional gal that just loves to be around Jesus. And uh, you, you might be familiar with Martha, too, from the story of, of Mary and, and Martha. Uh, both of them were familiar. Like, they, they knew that Jesus was getting ready to come to town. And so they're both excited in their own different ways. Martha, though, she's a little bit more introverted and just kind of a, a busybody. And so as Jesus is coming to the city, like, she's busy doing all the work. And Jesus gets there. And Mary's sitting down at his feet. And, and Martha's like, Jesus! Tell her to help me, please. I'm doing all the work. Please, could you just please tell her to help me? Even just for a minute, tell her to help me, please, Jesus. Do you recall these two ladies? Did the voice help you? I'm sure it did, okay? You're welcome for for those voices. Um, Well, Jesus, he is uh, hanging out with his disciples. He's doing ministry all over Jerusalem. And it turns out there were some people, some religious leaders in, outside of, or in Jerusalem that did not care about Jesus doing ministry there. They didn't like him and they wanted to, to kill him. And, and so he didn't think like today was a good day to die. So he took the disciples and they went outside of the city out into the countryside. And so they head out there, they're doing ministry. Well, while Jesus is outside of the city, his friend Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, he gets sick. Now, Mary and Martha, knowing that Jesus loves them, that he cares deeply about them, and knowing that he is unlike anybody they've ever met before, and he has remarkable power that nobody else has had, knowing that he can change the situation, they send a messenger out to Jesus. And, and the messenger gets to them and, like, and they say, hey, come back. Like, we need you to be back here. Your friend Lazarus is sick, and we need you to come back. And they, these two ladies, they are certain in their hearts that Jesus is going to show up. He's going to show up any minute. He's going to bust through the door, and he's going to fix the situation. Like, they don't know what exactly he'll do, but they know that he's going to make Lazarus okay, or he's going to make the situation okay. They're just expecting that at any minute. But the messenger shows up and tells, Lazarus, or tells, tells Jesus that Lazarus is about to die. He passes on the message. He says, your friend Lazarus, he's sick. He's on the verge of death. And this is Jesus' response in verse 4. It's not usually what we would think how he would respond. In verse 4, he says, This illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then after he says that, he just kind of goes back to work. And he's hanging out there outside of the city for, for two more days. Now, think about this. This is a kind of thing that, that you don't want to hear when you're in the middle of your world falling apart. This is a kind of thing that you don't want to hear when everything in your world is, is about to fall apart or you fear that there is something that, like, if you just kind of pull this one thread, everything falls. Now, presumably, this messenger goes back to the ladies, right? Goes back to Mary and Martha and, and, and returns the message that he gets from Jesus, and, and, and so it, I, I can imagine it going like this. Hey, did you find him? Like, did, were you able to find him? And it's like, yeah, I, I found him. Did you tell him? Did you tell him that we need him right now? Yeah, I, I, I told him. Well, what did he say? 
Well, he said that this is a sickness that isn't going to lead to death. And then he just kind of, I don't know, he went back to, went back to work. What? He just went back to work. So is he coming or isn't he coming? I don't think he is, guys. He just kind of stayed there. Now, you can imagine the hurt that Mary and Martha had in this moment, right? Like we don't have to be experts at the text to understand that these ladies are hurting right now. And some of us know exactly what this kind of stuff feels like because we've been on the backside of that kind of pain. And you felt that pain and you've had words spoken to you like this and, and words that maybe aren't harsh in nature, but when they hit your eardrums, they felt harsh to you. And, and you've been in those moments and you've just kind of been expecting breakthrough. You've been expecting that at any moment, like God is going to do a miracle and this thing is going to change. But you've heard words like these, like this is going to lead to God's glory. And instead of being hopeful for that, those words actually weren't hopeful at all for you. That hope was, was dashed on the rocks of your hurt. And I, I wonder how many of us who are sitting here that are watching this right now have ever felt like our world has been rocked like this or our hope has been rocked like that. Like you've been experiencing or you've been expecting this uh, amazing breakthrough and you've been expecting God to come bursting through the door at any moment and change the situation. But it just hasn't happened yet. You hear words like this, this is for God's glory. And it doesn't lead you to a place of hope. It just feels like your hope gets dashed on the rocks of your hurt. Well, after these two days, Jesus, he kind of gathers up the disciples and says, okay, now guys, come on, we're going back to the city. And these guys are like, whoa, well, hold on. Like, what do you mean we're going back to the city? Like, uh, like th there are people who are back there trying to kill us. Now, well, I don't mean us. Like, I, they're back there, they're trying to kill you. I don't want to make this about me. I don't want to make this about us. This is all about you, Jesus, okay? They're, they're back there and they, they want to kill you. Do you really want to go back to the city? And Jesus says, yes, our friend Lazarus, like he's sick and he's falling asleep. And I'm going to go back there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake him up. And at this point, the disciples are like, they don't, they don't fully get it. They're kind of like, what do you, like, well, if he's asleep, like, you got to kind of let him rest. Like, rest comes with, with, or like, if he's sick, you got to let him rest. If you're sick, like, rest helps. And these guys just totally don't get it. And, and Jesus just gets, he just shoots straight with them and says, guys, Lazarus is dead. Okay. Lazarus has died. I'm going there, and I'm about to do something that's going to infuse hope and belief in you like nothing else can. And I'm getting ready to go back there, and I'm going to infuse belief and hope in others who are there witnessing like nobody else can. But these guys, they just completely don't get it at all. And, and so this is kind of where we pick up in verse 17, because here is where we see the real hurt of Martha show up. Here, look at verse 17 with me. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had, been, had, had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and, and, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now, this was a bit of a role reversal for Mary and Martha. It was usually kind of the opposite way around. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
Now, what I want us to notice here, and uh, as we're kind of diving in, I want us to just kind of gravitate to this idea that, that Lazarus has actually died, okay? Like, like he's been dead now for, for four days, which means that there is no doubt that Lazarus is gone. Now, several people, they've come to console uh, Martha and Mary. They're filling her house. They're helping the, her, them in their moment of, of deepest grief. Now, what we're seeing here in this moment, like this is the time that happens after the funeral, okay? This is people hanging around afterwards, a couple days after, and, and they're hanging around to make sure that these ladies aren't grieving in and of themselves, that they got somebody to do that with. There was a custom that uh, for 30... For 30 days, that would be kind of marked off as a mourning period for somebody who had lost a loved one or uh, a family member. And so during that time, people would come and they would enter into your grief and they would enter into your mourning with you. Some of you have probably had uh, situations where you've lost people in the past and that was just a, um, there was moments where somebody came alongside of you and just said, you know what, while you mourn, I'm going to mourn with you. This is a scenario that uh, John is talking, at, talking about here, but he's trying to highlight the fact that, that Lazarus, he's not sleeping, okay? He's not in some type of a coma. Like, he is, he's, he's actually gone, right? He's, he's checked out. He, he's physically died, and he's been gone for four days. Now, now, try to imagine this, right? These women, they've watched their brother get sick. They, they've, they've watched their brother go down, downhill fast because this kind of came out of the blue. They, they sent for Jesus and said, hey, he, he's going. He, he, it's happening fast. Get back here and do something about this. And they're waiting in hopeful expectation that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to do something at any moment. And they've sat there by their brother's side as he's taken his last breaths, expecting that at any moment that door's going to open and Jesus is going to come through and he's going to do what he's been doing in other places of the known world, doing miracles and healing. And, and surely, for the people that he loves, he would enter into their grief like this. The, these women, they're, they're hurt. And so when Martha runs out to Jesus, she expresses the same thoughts that I think many of us, probably every one of us who are watching right now, that probably we would have expressed as well. She, she says, hey, where were you? Verse 21. Th these are questions I think that maybe you've had in the past or maybe even right now you have some of these questions. And she says, Lord, if you would have been here, <laughs> I want you to hear her, her pain here. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And I don't think this is a question of doubt. I don't think it's comments that are spoken out of just not believing that Jesus is capable I think this is more of this, this, is this overwhelming expression of hurt that's being displayed. I know you could have fixed this. I know you could have changed the situation if you wanted to, but you didn't even care enough to show up. Like, where were you? How many times do you think Martha had this conversation in her head before she ever made it to Jesus? How many times do you think that that conversation, that discussion happened with Mary and Martha sitting in the house with, with other people around or when it was quiet at night and they're just going, man, like, I thought he loved us. Where was he? What could have kept him? If he loved us so much, where was he? How many times do you think that discussion actually took place? I'm guessing it happened a bunch because as soon as she sees Jesus, it just kind of, ah, it comes out. Like, if you would have been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have died. Again, I, I want to say, 
I wonder if some of our, our, our biggest hurts or our biggest complaints and angers with God isn't a matter of unbelief or disbelief that leads us to a place of atheism or, or being agnostic or just kind of checking out. I wonder if some of our biggest complaints and angers with God is just a matter of like, man, I've been hurt. Man, I needed you to come through and you didn't come through. I needed you to show up and you never showed up. I mean, he would have never done this to me had you showed up, or she would have never left had you shown up. Like, my whole situation would have been different if you would have just shown up. This never would have happened if, and you just fill in the blank. And the question that we come up with is, where were you? And real hope gets dashed upon the rocks of our real hurt in those moments. Now, in my heart, I believe that little kind of reserved Martha here, she's just letting all this raw emotion come out at Jesus. She says, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. See, like pain like this can only come from a place of where hope once resided, right? Because where there is no hope, there's no ability to be let down. And so she was hopeful that Jesus would do something. But when he didn't show up, like pain entered into that space. Some of our deepest hurts are, are, are because we've hoped for better, and when better doesn't happen, pain begins to fill into those places that once had hope. Pain like this can only happen where hope once was. And then pain takes the place of hope. But what's so amazing here is that she doesn't just completely lose confidence in Jesus. Like she doesn't. Look at what, he, what, what she says in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's saying, I'm hurt. I've been deeply wounded inside, but I still believe that you can do something. I don't know what you'll do. I have no idea what you'll do, but I do believe that you can do something. And Jesus' response is, your brother will rise again. Now, I've got to admit, like if that were me, if Jesus would say, hey, your brother's going to rise again, I would be like, whoa, let's make this thing happen right now. Let's go. Let's watch you do the work, and it's going to be amazing. But Martha doesn't even act surprised in this moment. Look, look at what she says. Martha said to him, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. There's this common belief that there would be a resurrection that would happen at the end of the world. There was a hope that looked for an end day that looked way down the road and, and, and that a resurrection would come one day. Hope would be able to be found one day, but they never actually expected that it would happen right now, right? It wasn't real hope right now in this moment. And, and I want to talk to you at home real quick, because if you find yourself in a category believing that, that Jesus can't ever, would never, doesn't want to, that he just isn't capable of bringing you real hope right now, I want you to listen with just like, with ears open, ears attentive, maybe even with like this, like this HD clarity right now, right? I want you to hear these very next words of Jesus and let these words enter in to where your hope wants to reside. <clears throat> Because this is where real hope becomes available to us right now, okay? Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. I want you, if you underline in your Bible, go ahead and underline that right now. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes, go ahead, and every time you see believe in the next couple sentences here, go ahead and circle or underline or highlight. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, 
I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Her belief hasn't changed in the capability and the power and the ability of Jesus at all. See, what Jesus is saying here is that hope wasn't something that was coming way down the road. Hope wasn't something that was only off in the future. Hope for today, hope in life. He says, it's here right now. Hope is standing in front of you. Real hope is right here, right now, available to you. He is telling Martha, this hope that you're looking for, it's me. It's not another revelation to come. It's not another life to be lived later. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection that you're hoping for. I am the life that you need. I am the life that gives your life meaning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I want you to notice here that Jesus didn't say, man, like, it's possible for me to do a resurrection. I'm capable of doing something like that. What Jesus says here is not something that's that's maybe possible or likely. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection power. I am resurrected life. I am life that can breathe life into your situation. See, earlier in in John chapter uh, 10, right before this chapter, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. Here he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Earlier he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd leads his sheep to life. The good shepherd leads his people towards life. And the whole idea was that there were wolves, there were robbers, there were thieves out there who were coming in to cause pain and hurts. But they were masking it, they were masquerading around like they were coming to give life. But hurt and pain, that's no life at all. It, it, it's, it's not life. But Jesus right here, he's promised that I, I come to give life abundantly And what he's saying in this moment where he says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come to give you life and to come to give you life abundantly. What he's saying here is that I am the resurrection and the life that's available to you right now, not later, not 10 years from now, not 15, not when you feel like you've suffered enough. He's saying our hope is here right now. It's not in any event that's going to happen later, although uh, Paul tells us uh, about the rapture that happens in, uh, in Thessalonians. There's going to be a day where he ca- catches up believers to be with him, where it's going to be like a twinkling of an eye, and, and then there's going to be a resurrection of all the dead that comes towards the end. This isn't where he's saying hope. Hope isn't an event that's going to come later. He's saying hope is in the person of Jesus right now. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, that you're the Son of God. I want to ask you, as you're sitting and in, in, in you're watching together at home right now, I want to ask you that even in your hurt, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the pain is, no matter what quarantine is doing to you right now, and, and, and the things that you feel like are dying kind of around you, social plans, physically. I want to ask you, no matter what the hurt is, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he came to give you life and not only give you life, but do you believe that he came to be your life? This is what Jesus is getting at right now. I'm the resurrection and the life. 
In John 14, he'll, he'll talk about how he's the only way. And if you want to do some study in and of your own time, go to John 14, center in on John 14, 6, and it could, it could totally change your life. But I, I want to move down to verse 38 right now. There's some things that happen yeah, before we get to 38, but you, you see Mary, she expresses the same kind of hurt that Martha does. She says the exact same thing that Martha does. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I'm going to look at verse 38 here because I, I want to show um, where real hurt can, can fall into and meet real hope, okay? Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha the, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Now you have to imagine, though, that what's happening here, right, that hope is beginning to build, right, because Jesus has showed up and he's like, hey, show me where, where you laid Lazarus. He's been gone for four days, but show me. And you got to imagine that hope is beginning to kind of to percolate up in there and with every step to, towards the tomb. you got to believe that's a step towards hope for them. And so when he gets to the site where Lazarus has been buried, he says, okay, now remove the stone. Get it out of the way. And Martha's like, mm, hold, hold up here. Uh, wait just a, a second. Um, there's a process that kind of takes place when uh, a person dies, Lord. And it's, mm, mm. <laughs> Lord, it's, it's, it's been four days since mm, you don't want to open that thing. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. There's going to be an odor in there. I can't even talk about it. He tells him to get the thing out of the way. And she's like, Lord, there, there's, it's going to be bad. It's going to stink in there. And Jesus looks direct, directly at Martha, and he says in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? Now, now what does he say it takes to see the glory of God? He says that if you believed, Believe that you're going to see the glory of God. The same thing that he said earlier. But now remember, like Martha's hurting, right? She's the one who said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that whatever you ask of God, God's going to do that for you. But do you really think that she expected Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead? Did you really expect that she thought that that was going to happen? Because he says, move the tomb or move the stone. And she's like, mm, nah, I don't know if you want to move that. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to get real bad real quick. And, and, and so I have to believe that she wasn't expecting a resurrection this moment. And, and, I, and I think it's unique to know that Jesus doesn't just like smack her around in this moment with his words. Because he's, he's not like, oh, you didn't believe? You didn't think that I could do this? Hey, roll the stone back in front of the, in front of the whole world. We're not doing this day. Show's over. Like he doesn't respond to her like that. He kind of enters into her, her, her moment of hurt. And he says, didn't I say that if you believe that you would see the glory uh, of God. See, she wasn't expecting the resurrection that day, but Jesus was. He was about to intersect their hurts with an infusion of hope. Th this is where real hurt meets real hope. Look at verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
And this is so amazing, guys, in verse 44. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloths. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I can't imagine what this scene must have looked like. Because Lazarus obeys the command of Jesus' voice. He comes tumbling out of the, the, the tomb. He's wrapped up in all kinds of stuff. And, and they tell him, like, go unbind him. Let him walk around. See that he's actually alive. That I have the power to bring him fully back from the dead. This is amazing stuff right here. Now, think about this, though. There were two sisters here who had watched their brother die. Two sisters who had been completely disappointed. Two sisters who were asking the same question. Where were you? They weren't prepared to walk through preparing a funeral. They weren't prepared to try to figure out how do I do life without my brother around? How do I figure out how to fend for myself now? They weren't prepared for all this stuff to just kind of come out of the blue and be thrown on a plate. They weren't ready for something like that. And this is the kind of stuff that hurts and it sticks with you for a while. And, and it's not usually the, the stuff that, it's not usually this disbelief in God, right? It's not usually the, this unbelief. It's usually these questions of where were you and how could you? Lord, I was waiting. That's the kind of stuff that sticks around with us. And it's in this hurt that Jesus wants to meet them with his hope. It's in this hurt that hope shows up right now. And, and here's what I mean by that, right? Where there was tears and where there was mourning and hurt and anger all around that room, where there were tears and hurt and anger all around that tomb that day, what do you think happened when Lazarus suddenly comes tumbling and stumbling out of that tomb, when he obeys the voice of Jesus and he comes walking out of that? What do you think actually happens in this moment? When you see Jesus do something like this, don't those tears of mourning turn to tears of joy? Don't those tears kind of get flushed away? Doesn't that hurt somehow get displaced by the hope that begins to bubble up inside of you? Doesn't that hurt just all kind of begin to move out of the way when hope begins to rise up inside? When you see that Jesus was in it, in the middle of it all along, doesn't that change things? All of the hurt, all of the questions of where were you? Why didn't you? How could you? All of that, all the accusations of, man, maybe Jesus doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't love us. All of that gone when what was dead comes stumbling out of the grave. All of it gone. And suddenly it all makes sense, right? It all makes sense. God receives glory. Jesus is validated as a son of God who has the power over life and death and then hurts find their hope in the middle of the resurrection. Hope finds its way towards bubbling up inside and it begins to replace the hurt that's been taking place in, inside of us. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Now I, I know that we've got people that, that are sitting at home right now on this Easter and you've got doubts, you've got questions, you've got hurts from the past, you've got hurts that you're walking through right now, hurts that you're carrying along with you that you believe are gonna be there with you for the rest of your life that are never gonna go away. You're asking questions like, where were you 
where are you? If you would have been here, things would look different. Why didn't you come? I was waiting for you. I would, I've been disappointed and you still didn't show up. My life could have looked a thousand times different than it looks right now. But you aren't doing anything in the middle of it. And you're wondering, is he going to show up? Will he ever show up? And right now you may even be wondering, what on earth does any of this have to do with Easter? You, you, what does it have to do? Like you, you talked about Lazarus and you talked about Martha and you talked about Mary. But what does it have to do with, with me? What does it have to do with, with my hope? That's them. What's it have to do with me? Well, here's where the second resurrection comes in. This is that we want to talk about. This is where Jesus' resurrection comes in, the one that changes history. See, Lazarus, he was just a human being. There was no deity to him. He's a person that's going to die again. It's kind of unfair that he raised once, he died once and was raised, and then he's got to die again, right? But he is a man, and, he, and he's definitely going to die again. But his resurrection, it points to God's plan to undo our hurts, to undo our doubts, to undo our pain, and to ultimately point us to the one who said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's a question for us today, too. See, we, we know that Jesus went to a cross. We know that Jesus was betrayed. We know that he was betrayed by his friends. We know that he was betrayed by a whole nation. We know that he was betrayed by a world that he came to save. We know that he suffered. We know that he was beaten. We know that his body was displayed on the cross and he was, he was humiliated in public and he was humiliated and tortured in private. We know that he was laughed at. We know that he was mocked. We know that he was spit upon. And we know that eventually he was murdered. And we know that he was taken to a cross. And we know that he was taken down off of that cross. And we know that he was abandoned by so many people, but just a handful of people stuck close. We know that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. We know that he was forgotten. And he was kind of written off as just another crazy person. Another person who just kind of lost their mind and said that they were a savior. And people just kind of, man, just written him off. He's just another one of those guys. But then, but then, three days later, as he began to rise, the hope of the world began to rise along with him as the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, they're going to be with me. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I want you to listen to the words that Matthew says in Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men, just people falling out because they can't handle what they're seeing. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. And do you know why he's not here? He's risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you so. 
They said, he's risen. He's not here anymore. And as he rises, the hope of the world rises and says that hope isn't something that's far off. Hope is here. It's right here in front of you. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life and I've proved that I'm capable of it and Lazarus is raising and I've proved that I am who I said I am by raising myself from the dead. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? And guys, here's what this means for us. We can believe and we can have hope and we can believe that hope's available to us right now because the resurrection of Jesus makes that hope available and possible to us right now. And we can let that hope begin to invade and work its way into our hurts and find its way in the middle there and know that he wants to meet us there and know that he has the power to do something with it and he has the desire and the heart to do that. And as our pain is intersected by this hope, that pain begins to move away, that hurt begins to move away, and then hope begins to continue to bubble up in us knowing that he cares for us. See, Lazarus' resurrection, it, it reminds us that we have a Savior who's powerful enough to do a resurrection. He has the heart to enter into the middle of our hurts. And Jesus' own resurrection proved that not only was he capable of raising somebody else, but he was the resurrection and the life that he said that he was. And if he went through all of that, if he went through all that he went through, we can believe that he wants to meet us in the middle of our hurt. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? See, what Easter means to me is hope because the resurrection brings real hope right now. And right now we're gonna enter into a beautiful time of communion where we remember the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus that gives us this hope and this life right now, and remembers that he didn't stay dead, but he came back. And so right now, one of our elders, uh, Barry Kittrell, is going to lead us in a time of, uh, of communion with one another as he leads his family in communion at home. And so go ahead and get those elements together in your house. Get some liquid, get some juice if you have juice, some, some water if you have water, grab some bread, and let's do communion together this morning. Riverview, I love you. Happy Easter.